0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. As the 2020 presidential election is only a week away, this is a standalone message about how to live the way of Jesus in a politically divisive culture. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. I love hearing everything that the teams have planned for this fall. I you know, want to encourage you to come to those. It is, we're, we're trying to find any way to spend time together and engage and do life together during a time of distancing. So, uh, so thankful for the team and their efforts. When I was younger, if you would have asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have told you either a professional baseball player or the governor of Illinois. <laughs> Right, My family was friends with the former governor of Illinois, Jim Edgar, and I had one of his campaign sweatshirts that I wore to baseball practice in college, and I actually picked up the nickname, the governor, on the baseball team. Now, what I realized, though, is there's not many five-foot-nine major league baseball players. So after playing baseball for several years at college, I transitioned to focus on my academics, and I majored in political science and economics. I've always had an interest in American government and politics. And during my college years, the Clinton administration was in office, and I began to notice the negativity on each side of the aisle and and the Republicans towards the Democrats and Democrats towards Republicans. I remember my college friends becoming jaded with politics and having some of these conversations. That was 1995. Fast forward 25 years and we have reached a new high or low in political election cycles, right? The, the rhetoric is fever pitch, it is opinionated, it is fear-based, and it is divisive. And what I've noticed is that th- this divisiveness has made its way inside the church. Pastor David Platt, a pastor in Virginia, put it this way. He says, the political climate in our country is sick, We are so quick to accuse, belittle, cancel, distrust, disparage, deride, and divide from one another. And it's not just people outside the church, it's people inside the church too. And it's not just this side or that side, it's all of us, including me. We are swimming in toxic political waters that are poisoning the unity Jesus desires for his church. And we are polluting the glory Jesus deserves through us in the world. I could not have said that any better. And what is concerning to me as a pastor is that we are potentially losing our influence to share the good news of Jesus because we are blending our faith and our politics so closely together. If you're following in your notes, what I want us to see out of the gate is as followers of Jesus, we are the light of the world We are the light of the world. Would you read with me the words of Jesus in the first gray box on your notes? Read these with me. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? Jesus is the light of the world. And remember last week, we talked about Jesus giving us a mission and empowering us with the Holy Spirit. So if we're followers of Jesus, we are now the light of the world. That's incredible. We are now the light of the world, and we are sent out to shine the light of Jesus for other people to see. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your identity. And I'm so glad we get to talk about this today. So we wanted to hit the pause button before we start A new series next week on Micah chapter six, verse eight, and have an honest conversation about this question. If you're following in your notes, how do I live the way of Jesus in a politically divisive culture? How do we do that? And I want to say up front, I I want to be very honest with you, I have some anxiety standing here talking about this subject for several reasons. One, I've just always been told you don't talk about politics and faith together, especially at like Christmas dinners or Thanksgiving dinners, and what are we doing this in church for? And I know we have all different thoughts and affiliations when it comes to politics, but I'm thankful to have the opportunity to talk with you about this because I see it as a shepherding moment. We need to talk about these issues. We've said this before, but Cherry Hills is held together by chicken wire and the Holy Spirit. We have people from many faith backgrounds across the political spectrum. And what I hope to do in our time together today is share some pastoral thoughts using God's word that can guide us During this season, listen, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to endorse any candidate or any political party on behalf of our church. And regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, you will probably agree with some of what is said and you will probably disagree with some things that are said. And that's okay, because this is messy. But this is an opportunity to practice life together, right? We can disagree and love one another, and keep the main thing the main thing. I think we can do that. So I want to talk about five ways that we can live the way of Jesus in a politically divisive culture. The first way, if you're following in your notes, pledge allegiance to Jesus. Pledge allegiance to Jesus. The definition of allegiance, we grew up pledging allegiance to the flag. I did through high school. The definition of allegiance is devotion or loyalty to a person, a group, or a cause. And allegiance is what Jesus was asking for when he called his disciples with two words, follow me. That's an invitation to allegiance. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus defined for us what following him looked like. Would you read this with me in the second gray box in your notes? These are the words of Jesus. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. When we follow Jesus... We give our loyalty and devotion and allegiance to him. And what this means individually for followers of Jesus is that we are followers of Jesus first, and Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, or Independents second, or somewhere else down the line. Which sounds like a pretty obvious statement. Unless you go online and watch the news or social media and you see Christians confusing the order of these. And when we put our politics in front of our faith, we lose influence. We are supposed to be the light of the world. And when politics come before our faith, our light dims. Our light dims. The first way we rise above political divisiveness and live the way of Jesus is to put him first. We pledge allegiance to Jesus. The second way, we live the way of Jesus in a politically divisive culture. If you're following in your notes, we remember that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's who we are. We need to talk about the king and his kingdom for just a couple of minutes. The definition of kingdom is a country, a state, a territory ruled by a king or queen. I think we all get that. We all know that. In the Old Testament, for countless centuries, prophets pointed to a future king. And you get to Isaiah 9, and it's like the the best description of this promised king. Isaiah said a son would be given, and the government would be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there would be no end. And then you go to the New Testament, and the Gospels refer to Jesus as the Christ— The Greek word is Christos, the Christ, 500 times. Christos is a Greek word meaning an anointed royal figure, the king. It was another way of referring to the Messiah, the one who would come, that was promised. Not just a king, but the king. Jesus is the king, and when he came to this earth, he brought with him his kingdom. But Jesus and his kingdom looks much different than the kingdoms of this world. He taught about this kingdom all the time in the stories that he told. It's a kingdom characterized by righteousness, peace, joy, humility, self-sacrifice, servanthood, and love. And something fascinating came to light this week as I studied In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples who he was. You might remember this story, they're in Caesarea, and he says, who do you say that I am? We're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. It says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession of faith in who I am, would you read this with me? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I want to leave that up really quick. Tom, can you leave that on the screen? The translation in verse 18 there is not a good translation. In almost every translation you find, probably everybody in this room, it's going to say church in your Bible. And what we need to know is Jesus actually didn't use the word church. That got imposed much later. The word that Jesus used is ekklesia, which is the same Greek word, get this, that was used to describe a governing council under the Roman government. So a contextual rendering of Matthew 16, 18 could say this. I will build my government, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And what that means is when we give our allegiance to Jesus, we become citizens of the kingdom of God, and that citizenship is greater than any earthly citizenship we will ever experience. And if we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, then no worldly leader is worthy of our hearts. No governmental authority or political party is worthy of our trust, our allegiance, or our hope. Jesus is the hope of the world, and we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Psalm 146, uh, verse 3, says this, "...put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation." But I do this, and it seems like in an election year, we put our trust in candidates and in political parties more than we place our trust in Jesus. And we even think our candidate and political party are the ones Jesus would endorse. I do this, and what happens, if we're Republicans, then we are convinced Jesus would be a Republican because of his values. I mean, it's almost in the Bible, it's almost in the bible right in luke chapter 5 verse 30 we read this but the scribes and pharisees murmured against his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with republicans and sinners oh i'm sorry i'm sorry it actually says this why do you drink with publicans and sinners publicans a tax collector but it's almost in the bible right it's almost, so Jesus is a Republican. And at that same dinner, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Democrats would say, that's universal health care right there. He's a Democrat. He lines up with caring for people. Also, Brian, he gave away food on two different occasions He's a Democrat, and here's the piece de resistance, right? Come on. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not an elephant. (laughs) He's a Democrat, man. It's almost in the Bible. But it's not. No party is going to line up exactly with the kingdom values of Jesus, although each party has a little bit of it. Personally, I wish Democrats cared more for life before birth. I am strongly against abortion and pro-life. By the way, and do not misunderstand this, the Bible is also very clear that life is from God, it is a gift, and we should not take it. And I wish Republicans cared more for life after birth and certain groups of people and how they're treated. The poor, the oppressed, the refugee, the immigrant. The Bible is also very clear. We should have great concern for those those groups of people. One of the reasons we adopted is because we wanted to be part of the solution to abortion. I'm so thankful that Daniel's mom chose to carry him full term. And because my son is an immigrant, it breaks my heart Whenever immigrants have been treated poorly along our southern borders, regardless of the administration, and when they are kept in detention camps and children are forcibly removed from their parents, that should bother us too. The political, and more importantly, the spiritual reality, is no party is going to line up 100% with the kingdom values of Jesus. And that's because, don't miss this, Jesus did not come to be part of a political platform. He did not come to support an existing political structure. He brought with him a new kingdom. He came to replace everything that was in place. And this is why it's important. When we make Jesus fit a party platform, we rob the world of the message that changed the world. So why would we as followers of an eternal king let ourselves be divided by temporary political parties or leaders or platforms? Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by temporary kings? We cannot first and foremost be political party people. We must be kingdom people. And if we're not, our light dims. Our light dims. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. A third way, we live the way of Jesus in a politically divisive culture. If you're following in your notes, we need to be careful with our words. Careful with our words. The Bible actually speaks a lot about how we use our mouths. Here's just a couple of examples. Proverbs thirteen three. you can see it on the screen. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips come to ruin. Ephesians chapter 4, 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then James 1, 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We need to be careful with our words. And listen, I'm not immune to this. I'm not immune to this. Frankly, I've caught myself and some of you have caught me. And thank you for calling me up on that. On social media, I've crossed the line because of my passion for politics and saying things publicly that were inconsistent with modeling the way of Jesus in a divisive political culture. I need to be careful with my words. And one way we're careful with our words is that we don't demonize people who disagree with us and support a different political party or a different platform. In a season of political divisiveness, being a follower of Jesus means it impacts how we think, how we talk, and how we act. That's all filtered through becoming more like Jesus. What we post on social media is influenced by Jesus, and we don't demonize those who disagree with us, and we don't demonize the candidates themselves. Right As followers of Jesus, we recognize that as much as we might disagree with them, Donald Trump and Mike Pence and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are created in the image of God and have incredible value to him. And when we disparage them, we we disparage what God created. We don't demonize people who disagree with us. The second way we are careful with our words is how we talk about issues. This is where some some tensions rise. And there are serious issues in this election that need talked about. So I'm not saying we are silent observers as followers of Jesus. God gives clear commands in his word that directly apply to political issues in the world. And I would say and argue that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to speak out about these issues. The Bible's clear. I've already said this. The word is clear that he forms children in their mother's wombs. Therefore, the Christian position asserts that abortion is the wrongful taking of a person's life. God commands people to do justice by caring for the poor and the oppressed because God created all people with equal dignity in his image. The Christian position on racism is that racism is evil and we work against it. The Bible's clear on a number of issues, but there are other issues that do not have a clear direct line from biblical teaching, and there's no one Christian position. Taxes. For example, paying taxes is clear, but the Bible doesn't tell us whether it should be a progressive tax, or a flat tax, a lower tax rate, or a higher tax rate, or immigration. The Bible doesn't speak directly to that. It commands us to care for the immigrant, but we don't have a path to citizenship in the Bible. The Bible does not give exact answers for these questions for every time, place, and culture. And here's where we land. It is possible— That thoughtful Christians all trying to obey God's word could reasonably appear at different places on the political spectrum with loyalties to different political strategies, candidates, and parties, or find that you don't identify with a political party at all. It doesn't mean these issues aren't important. But we need to be careful to use words like the Christian position on this is. Right, We don't use words like the Christian position on taxes, the Christian position on a pathway to citizenship, the Christian position on gun control, the Christian position on health care, almost anything, to be honest. The problem arises with what comes next in these sentences is actually not true for every Bible-believing follower of Jesus because Jesus doesn't actually speak to those issues directly. But what's happened is that we've attached Jesus' name to positions he never promoted and that he never denounced, and the result is division. We start judging who is authentically a Christian or not a Christian in ways that Jesus never authorized. So let's be careful when we say the Christian position on this is, unless it's clearly stated in the Bible. Here's a third and final way to be careful with words. Let's be careful before we ever say a candidate or a president is God's person. Why? Because no verse in the Bible endorses any particular candidate in a contemporary election. What's more, like the rest of us, politicians are flawed human beings. I wouldn't even call my friend Jim Edgar, who I went to church with, God's candidate. There was one perfect person who ever walked this earth. His name is Jesus, and he's the only leader whose character and platform are entirely endorsed by God. If we believe a certain candidate is better than another candidate based on Christian values, then say that. Let's just say that. And if a candidate is a Christian, then let us simply say that candidate is a follower of Jesus. Right, we need to be careful with words like God's candidate. After all, Pharaoh was God's person, and God most certainly did not endorse his platform and policies, but he did raise him up. So we need to be careful with saying God's candidate, because that divides and it dims our light. I hope we can see the main point. We need to be careful with our words, because if we speak carelessly in the ways I mentioned above, we lose influence and our light dims and careless words divide, which leads to the fourth way of Jesus to practice in a politically divisive culture. We fight for unity. We fight for unity, if you're following in your notes. Did you know this was Jesus' prayer request for us? Jesus prayed for us after the Last Supper, hours before he's arrested and crucified. Jesus prays for his disciples In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, in verses 20 to 23, he prays for us. And so whether you're in your living room or you're in this room, I know this is a long text in the third gray box, but let's read it together. These words of Jesus are beautiful. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The thing Jesus was most concerned about before his death was the unity and oneness of his followers. And the reason that he gave for the importance of our unity is found three different times. Did you catch it as we read it? In verse 21, he says, so that the world may believe you sent me. Verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, them even as you have loved me. Friends, listen, unity is mission critical. It is mission critical. It is critical there is unity within the local church because if division creeps in, it affects the mission and our light dims. Please don't hear me say uniformity. Jesus knew his church would be a global church. Men, women, young, old, white, black, brown. He is a God of diversity. So he didn't want uniformity, but this, this reveals, right? He knew there would be people of different languages and cultures. And skin colors and political party affiliations. Jesus knew there would be differences in his church. That's why he prayed for unity. And if unity is important to Jesus, it needs to be important to us. So when we disagree, and we will, here's a couple of helpful suggestions. One, I'm just gonna say it again don't post it on social media. Bad idea. If our mission is to reach people for Jesus, I have yet to meet anybody who has said to me, you know what, I saw this really politically divisive post on social media from someone that your church, uh, in your church made, and it made me want to know more about Jesus. I've just never found that. Here's a better way to dialogue. In the context of a relationship, ask compassionately curious questions. What led you to that view? What led you to believe that? What led you to that position? Have you always held that view? Have you always seen it that way? Was there ever a time where you were on the other side of the issue? Should you have an opinion? Yes. Absolutely. Should you argue your point? Yes, absolutely. We need to clearly speak up for issues that are clearly taught in God's word. But it's how we discuss them. And it's how we argue them. It matters how we dialogue. One of our core values here is relating rightly, and we want to fight to preserve that because when we get sideways with one another or we tear each other apart over political views, our light for Jesus dims. We can disagree and still love one another, and the world needs to see that. The world needs to see that. We have an unprecedented opportunity for our community and nation to see the church disagree politically Yet love one another. We can do that. We've been called to do that. And the fifth way to live the way of Jesus in a politically divisive culture, if you're following your notes, it's to pray. It's to pray. Prayer changes situations. Prayer changes hearts. Prayer can change public policies. Prayer can change our hearts and how we see people. I found it very difficult to hate or be angry with people if I'm praying for them. We're commanded to pray for our leaders even if we disagree with them. In 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 4, Paul wrote this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. As followers of Jesus... We rise above a politically divisive culture by praying for our leaders, even if we disagree with them. We pray for unjust policies to change, and we pray for Jesus' kingdom to come. We are opening this room on Monday, November 2nd, from 830 to 4. We've created a prayer guide. We want to invite you back to join us in prayer, prayer, because we do believe prayer changes things. And so you're invited to that. If you can't make it that day, we'll have that prayer guide online for you. But we want to be a church that prays desperately. We need the Lord. And so we thought as we close this service, we would pray together and practice this. And so I've invited a friend of mine, one of our elders, John Cody, uh, to pray over our church family. So would you join us as we pray and practice this this
1: morning? We join the psalmist who proclaimed, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Lord God, we worship you as king over all. Yet we are a sinful people. We repent before you, Lord, for the sins of our nation. Your word promises the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him and we claim that word. We pray that you, Lord God, would help us as a church and as a country, as Micah said, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. We pray that the church would be, as Jesus described, the salt and light of the world that points to your goodness and resounds to your glory, O holy God. Father God, amidst different political convictions, opinions, and perspectives, we pray for harmony and unity among the brothers and sisters in Christ, as Paul did when he asked you that they would have the same attitude toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray in the words of Jeremiah for peace and prosperity that is of you for our nation. We pray for elected officials, including those who are believers and those who are non-believers, that they would discern between good and evil, righteousness and wickedness and honesty and dishonesty that they have a supernatural wisdom and humility that can only come from on high from you father god and your spirit even if they do not recognize the source that they avoid greed idolatry self-gain and arrogance we pray for the elected officials who are believers and that you would encourage them Give them strength in the face of adversity and evil. We pray for elected officials who are non believers that they would be open to the Spirit's call and they would see their need for salvation and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As we cast our ballots, we pray you would return soon, Lord Jesus, to usher in your kingdom of perfect justice and righteousness in all the earth. You are the only leader who will satisfy all our longings. You are the Lord over death, sin, and Satan. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. In your powerful and loving name, we, your beloved people, pray, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.